This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Hey, good morning. We're going to dismiss our first through sixth graders. I see uh, Miss Gabby is over here. They've got a great Chapel Kids experience planned for you guys. Parents are always welcome to walk them over if you'd like. See where you'll pick them up afterwards. My name's Chris. I'm the pastor here at Christian Chapel. Today's the first Sunday of Advent, and we are thrilled that you are joining us. Before we jump into that, if you were with us last Sunday, uh, last Sunday we heard from Stephen and Bailey Kurt, who are missionaries with Involved International. Uh, we have a partnership with the Kurtz, with Involved International, and with the Burundi Assemblies of God. Burundi is a small nation in the heart of Africa with the goal of planting a life-giving church within walking distance of every Burundian. Stephen and Bailey and the Burundi Assemblies of God have a partnership to train church planters. Each year they're training and releasing between 30 and 50 church planters uh, who go out into villages and towns around Burundi and start new congregations. As those congregations get up and going, Christian Chapel is able to partner with them to provide the funding to build them a new permanent church building. It's only $6,000 to purchase a plot of land and build a brick and mortar church with a tin roof. The church is then responsible for all of the furnishings and has a sense of ownership in it. Over the last four years that we've partnered with Stephen and Bailey and the Burundi Assemblies of God, we've been able to build 56 churches in the nation of Burundi. The best news of that is each new church, when they receive that new church building, within the first couple months they occupy it, they grow by an average of 75 to 150 new converts in each individual church. And so last week, Stephen and Bailey, absolutely, it's great news. Last week, Stephen and Bailey presented us with an opportunity to partner with them. I know many of you uh, may have not been here due to the holiday weekend, but you can go back uh, on our website or podcast, listen to Stephen's message. It's incredibly encouraging. And I also want to invite you to partner with us to make uh, some special year-end gifts to build churches in Burundi. So far, through about a a week of giving, about $30,000 has come in to build churches in Burundi. So that's five new churches that have been built. Uh, We're excited to see what God will continue to do as we respond in generosity. So if that's something God puts on your heart, you can give at christianchapel.com slash give, any of the buckets on your way out. If that's something you know, that's what you want to do, maybe some of you even want to build an entire church, fund that, you're on your own. If you can let us know, that enables us to uh, communicate with Stephen and Bailey so they can let the Burundi Assemblies of God know and kind of make their plans for 2024. So thanks for doing that. Today, uh, as I said, is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is just a, a word that means arrival. It's the four Sundays before Christmas that the church sets aside to prepare our hearts to celebrate the arrival of Jesus, which we observe on Christmas Day. So at Christian Chapel, Advent is just a season for us to incorporate some new things. Uh, so we, we decorate the church to draw our attention towards this season. We sing new songs. We sing old songs that, that are, are not quite frequent as frequent for us to point our attention toward it. Um, in most years, we also turn our attention directly towards the birth story of Jesus and start to explore that. This year, as we're working our way through the book of Acts, uh, we, we considered one of two options. One, uh, stopping and doing a special Advent message series. Uh, or two, which we went with, continuing through the book of Acts. Uh, and what you'll find is uh, it's no stretch at all. 
But it's amazing to see how the arrival story of Jesus and the beginning story of the early church dovetails so nicely together. Um, it's almost as if God designed the story of Jesus to continue in the church and to continue in us through every generation. So today, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the continuing story of Jesus, and we're going to see in Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 7, that many of the themes we find in the birth stories of Jesus are picked up, continued, and expanded upon in the early church. And then our our hope in doing so is also to understand that what happened with Jesus and what happened in the early church is what should still be happening in our lives today. So the story starts with the incarnation of Jesus. It continues with the birth and the, the spread of the church. And it is ongoing today in the hearts and minds of every man, woman, and child who takes their place in the body of Christ through the power of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So if you have a Bible, we're going to read Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. If not, it'll be here on the screen for you. It says, At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe, and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. And so, as I said, there are elements of Acts chapter 14 that directly point us back to the arrival story of Jesus. It starts in Acts chapter 14, verse 1, where it says, As usual, Paul and Barnabas went into the Jewish synagogue, and they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. When Paul and Barnabas are on their missionary journey, everywhere they go, they preach the gospel. In Luke chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, we find an angelic proclamation of the gospel to the shepherds on the night that Jesus is born. They say, I bring you good news of great joy, good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And so what we find in the angel's announcement is what we find echoed in Paul and Barnabas' preaching in Acts chapter 14, and what we should still resonate with today in our lives as well, that the arrival of Jesus is still good news of great joy for all people. What you notice in Acts chapter 14 is that Paul and Barnabas show up in a new city, and they immediately go to the place where they assume there will be God-fearing people, both Jews and Gentiles. They go to the Jewish synagogue. And in the synagogue, they began to tell the gospel story, and the gospel story is the Advent story. It's the story that Christ has come, that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, that Jesus has come to restore our relationship with the Father, to enable us to enjoy relationships with each other, and this is good news of great joy for all people. 
In the Advent story, we see the angels making the announcement. We see God speaking to the wise men. We see Mary and Joseph being called out, Simeon and Anna. In all kinds of places in the Advent story, we see that it's good news of great joy for rich and poor, for educated and uneducated, for Jew and Gentile, for young and old. The arrival story of Jesus is a story of good news for everyone, everywhere. And Paul and Barnabas in the early church, when they pick up this Jesus story by the power of the Holy Spirit, everywhere they go, they announce good news of great joy to everyone. They share it with rich and poor, with slave and free, with Jew and Gentile, with Romans, with everyone, everywhere. They never restrict it and they never withhold it. And so what that means for you and I today is that the good news is still good news for us, but it's also good news for everyone everywhere. Now at Advent and Christmas, there's this, this uh, opportunity that many of us have to gather with friends and family, to gather at work parties and school parties, to gather for Christmas celebrations in different places at different times. And one of the, the unique experiences of Christmas is there is a, a big emphasis on gathering together and really living in harmony and living in unity. These are all reflections of what Jesus came to do. And what's unique about it is we get some tastes of that. And then we also get some experiences of we have to hang out with people we don't like. And we have to go to Christmas parties with people we'd rather avoid. Right? And maybe you do some like secret Santa stuff at work and you're buying gifts for a coworker that all you really want to give them is a termination letter. Right? And so you, you find yourself in some of these environments where it is, it's designed to celebrate the good news of who Jesus is, the wonderful feelings of the Christmas season, and all you really find yourself doing is thinking, I hope I don't have to talk to him tonight. I hope I can avoid her the entire time. And work or school are one thing, but some of us, we get that experience with our families as well, right? Of, of the idea of joining together with your family, just it doesn't result in this wellspring of joy, but in this wellspring of crippling anxiety and sleepless nights, of I just can't believe we're related. I can't believe we share DNA. I can't believe that there is some genetic connection between us because how can they be the way they are when I am the way I am, right? And, and there's all of these potential tensions that we start to navigate. And what we're remembering at Christmas is Jesus is good news of great joy for all people, which means he's good news of great joy for me, and he's good news of great joy for you, and he's good news of great joy for the people I like, and he's good news of great joy for the people I want to be around, and he's good news of great joy for the family that I want to be like, and he's good news of great joy for the friends who bring me life, but he's also good news of great joy for everyone that I don't like. And he's good news of great joy for everyone that drives me nuts. And he's good news of great joy for everyone that antagonizes me. And he's good news of great joy for everyone that opposes me. And he's good news of great joy for everyone that makes my life difficult. And he's good news of great joy for me and you and them, whoever them might be in your life. 
Jesus is good news of great joy for people who don't vote like you. Jesus is good news of great joy for people who don't look like you. Jesus is good news of great joy for people who don't cheer like you. Jesus is good news of great joy for people who don't agree with you. Jesus is good news of great joy for people who mock you, ridicule you, and reject you. The message of the gospel is this is good news of great joy for all people for all time which means as followers of Jesus, we still carry a holy responsibility to share that good news with everyone, everywhere. We can never withhold it. We can never deny it. Everyone who has been created in the image of God, everyone who has breath in their lungs is intended to hear good news of great joy. And so the Advent story is an evangelistic story. The Advent story is not about good news hiding on a mountain for the holy people to come and find it. The Advent story is a story of good news invading the world in the places where people are, no matter what they're going through, who they are, or where they've come from, to be confirmed confronted with the good news that Jesus is here. It's what Paul and Barnabas model for us on their missionary journey. They are constantly going, moving, leading into new places to encounter people where they are and share the good news of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And as we, as we move into Advent this year, we remember that this good news of great joy is not just the story of a kind of a warm, fuzzy feeling of sweet baby Jesus has come in a manger. But what we're observing at Advent is we're respecting the arrival of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We are submitting and surrendering to the word that was with God in the beginning that spoke all things into existence. We are welcoming the king who knows the number of hairs on our head, the number of breaths in our lungs, and the number of days on this earth. We welcome not just this kind of nostalgic picture of Jesus, but we welcome the divine son of God who's come to rule and to reign. The good news is not Jesus has come to make you feel better. The good news is Jesus has come to destroy the works of the enemy in your life. Jesus has come to move you from darkness to life, from death to life. He's come to renew in every way everything the enemy has taken from you. Good news of great joy is not a religious institution. Good news of great joy is not a list of rules to follow. Good news of great joy is not we hope you can be a little better than you were last year. Good news of great joy is you are lost and now you are found. You were dead and now you are alive. You are not a people and now you are a people. You were an orphan and now you are a son or a daughter of God. This is the great news, good news of great joy that angels announce, the good news of great joy that Paul and Barnabas proclaim and the good news of great joy that you and I have embraced, been changed by, and have the privilege of sharing today. This is Advent. This is the story of the church and it's our story today. And what we find in Acts chapter 14 is the same thing we find in the, the arrival story of Jesus, that when he shows up with news that should only be greeted with joy, with hope, and with acceptance, instead there are those who choose to reject it instead. You look in Acts chapter 14, verse 2, and it says, But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the other believers. It's a, a reflection of what Simeon prophesied to Mary and Joseph in Luke chapter 2 when they take Jesus to the temple. 
It says, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. See, with Jesus being good news of great joy, it's not just good news that he's shown up as a teacher, a leader, a role model, but he shows up as the Son of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. And it's the divinity of Jesus that creates decision and division in Acts chapter 14 and throughout his life. If you read the birth story of Jesus, it's a story of celebration and a story of rejection. There are those who welcome the arrival of the king and those who reject it and work against it. In Acts chapter 14 in Iconium, when Paul and Barnabas show up and they begin to preach the gospel, there are those who accept it and there are those who reject it. Now, what what happens in our culture is we try to remove the elements of division within the gospel. We try to remove the element of decision within the gospel by removing the divinity of Jesus. And so culturally, what we find where we live is a general acceptance of Jesus as a great teacher, Jesus as a wise man, Jesus as a prophet, perhaps, Jesus as a role model, Jesus as somebody who speaks words of life and hope and comfort. Jesus is someone that we are welcome to admire and appreciate, and it's culturally and socially acceptable to do so, especially at this time of year. But what Luke chapter 2 reminds us of and what Acts chapter 14 reinforces is that when Jesus is presented as the divine Son of God, it always brings us to a point of decision. As you read through the Gospels and you read through the book of Acts, you find that Jesus did not come for admiration, but he came to initiate decisions. To, To say that Jesus is somehow just a teacher, just a moral leader, just a good example or a role model is to disregard most of what Jesus said about himself. Jesus is the one who called himself the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. He's the one who called himself the Son of God. He's the one who claimed to be the only way to the Father. He called himself the way, the truth, and the life and says no one comes to the Father except through him. He calls himself the gate where we come through to enter into life. He says he is the narrow path that leads to life versus the broad road that leads to destruction. The church picks up these themes and claims that there is no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. The church picks up the idea that Jesus is the one who is before all things and in all things and holds all things together. And so for us culturally to set aside and say we admire him, but we don't believe in his divinity is to make our decision to reject him. And so good news of great joy is not good news of here's Jesus, do what you want. Good news of great joy is here is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of all things and the sustainer of everything who demands your submission and your surrender so that you can move from darkness to light. This is where the gospel leads us and this is why it creates division. The gospel creates division because it confronts the sinful structures and powers of every culture at every point in history. Right? And, and so this is what happens in Acts chapter 14. The leaders recognize that the gospel is true. It threatens our positions of power. It threatens our influence in society. And it threatens our economic standing. And so their decision is to understand the message and to reject it entirely. And not just a personal rejection, 
But they begin to engage in a process of trying to poison the hearts and the minds of those who are hearing the gospel. And so as followers of Jesus, what we have to understand today is that he is not only good news of great joy for all people, but we also have to understand there is a real enemy dedicated to eradicating the power of the gospel in the world. There is poison flowing through our systems, through our structures, through people and leaders who are opposed to Jesus, trying to deny his divinity so that they can maintain their positions of power. And when that happens, even though it disappoints us, it should not surprise us. Opposition is always part of the church story. Opposition is always part of the gospel story. But as you keep reading through Acts chapter 14, as you keep working your way through the birth story of Jesus, what you find is in every space where the enemy rises up in opposition, God has a plan to defeat him one more time and keep moving forward. All right, so, so let's pick it up here in Acts chapter 14. Verse 3, it says, So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. Acts chapter 14 teaches us that the power of Jesus is unstoppable, but, but just I want you to hear these, these things kind of in, in concert together. Acts chapter 14, verse 2. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned the mind, their minds against the brothers. Verse 3. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. So, so there's a couple things here. First, there's the perseverance of Paul and Barnabas. And second, there's the power of Jesus. But notice the way verse 2 and verse 3 go together. So the, the religious leaders stir up opposition to Paul and Barnabas in Iconium, where the church has already been established. New believers have already been brought in. They're already being discipled. There's already a structure of a community of faith being established. And now the leaders of the city rise up and begin to poison the minds of everyone in the city against Paul and Barnabas. And in that setting, Paul and Barnabas' response is, we should stay here longer. We should dig our heels in and stay. Now, I don't, I don't know about you. I have a, a deep, and wide stubborn streak in my heart. And, and it's something the Lord is helping me to work through in many ways, but sometimes it's actually beneficial. I don't know that I would have stayed in Iconium. I would have maybe thought, you know what, Paul, Barnabas, we've done good work. We've established the church. These people clearly hate us. They're powerful people. Maybe it's time for us to move down the road and trust the church to the Holy Spirit. But Paul and Barnabas' response is something we see modeled in the life and ministry of Jesus. It's something they model for us throughout the ministry of the early church. And it's this idea that opposition is never a sign to quit, but it's often proof that you're doing the exact things God has called you to do. Right? If we believe in a real enemy who wants to steal and kill and destroy, which is what Jesus teaches us, then we should not be surprised when we engage in God's kingdom and we face opposition from the enemy. And when that happens, there is a holy stubbornness that should take hold in your heart where you dig in your heels and decide, not only am I not leaving, I'm staying longer. Not only will I not be quiet, I'll speak louder. 
Not only will I not quit giving, I will be more generous. Not only will I not quit inviting, I'll be even more hospitable. Where we experience the pushback from the enemy and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and his gifts at work in us, we persevere. And what we find in Acts chapter 14 is God meets our perseverance with his power. Now, it's the Holy Spirit that's working through Paul and Barnabas to stay there. It's the Holy Spirit who's enabling them to preach the gospel. And then it's the Holy Spirit who comes and confirms their message with signs and wonders. And so what we see is a pattern that we've seen throughout the ministry of Jesus, that we see throughout the ministry of the early church in the book of Acts, and that we see continuing throughout church history right up to today. That Jesus confirms his message of grace with signs and wonders. And when the enemy pushes against the kingdom of God, God's kingdom pushes back in supernatural ways. And so for us today, what we need to understand is the signs and wonders described in Acts chapter 14 are the direct result of God's people being obedient to the Great Commission to share the good news with everyone everywhere. And as they share that good news and they face opposition and persecution, God's response is to inspire them to dig in with a holy perseverance, to continue to preach the gospel, and he confirms the message with signs and wonders. And so what we need to understand today is if we want to see an increasing outpouring of the supernatural power of God, if we want to be witnesses and conduits of the signs and wonders of the Holy Spirit, it will be directly correlated to the amount of time, energy, and investment we give to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Scripturally, signs and wonders are given as confirmations of the gospel, not as entertainment for God's people. And so for us as followers of Jesus and us who embrace the gifts of the Spirit, we never want to be people who just chase after the signs and chase after the wonders for the sake of themselves. And so we have some cool stories to tell each other. But we want to share the gospel. We want to preach the gospel. We want to move into dark places. And we want to trust that when the enemy pushes back, God comes in like a flood, releasing his signs and wonders to confirm his message. But you also have to notice that even as God confirms his message with signs and wonders, there are some who reject and there are some who accept. It's a model that's played out all through Jesus' life and ministry, and it's a model that really confronts an idea that many of us hold of, if the Lord would just release more supernatural signs through my life, then my family, then my friends, then my coworkers, then my classmates, then my teammates, then they would surrender to him. What you see in the ministry of Jesus is he performs tremendous miracles, and some accept and some reject. What you see in the early church is God raises the dead and he heals the blind and he does incredible supernatural miracles. And some accept and some reject. And so in Acts chapter 14, when it says that the message of grace was confirmed with signs and wonders, it doesn't mean that the signs and wonders convinced everyone to submit to the message of grace. It means that it brought everyone to an increasing point of decision about the message of grace. And signs and wonders often function in the same way today. For every chapel praise story we tell of God's miraculous intervention, his healing power, his provision, his direction, there are some who will believe and there are some who will reject. And at its core, there's just an invitation to decide. It is Jesus who he says he is, 
or do we continue to go down the path that we're already on? And again, what we see in the book of Acts is what we continue to see in our life today. That though we long for people to experience this good news of great joy, though we long for them to be transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ, there are many who will reject and there are many who will accept. And our job as the people of God is to, just like Paul and Barnabas, just keep preaching the gospel. And there are those who were opposed And there are those who will poison. And God will come in and he will confirm his message with signs and wonders. And there are still those who will oppose and those who will poison. And our job is to not let our obedience be dictated by the decisions of others. We have been called to be bearers of good news of great joy to all people. And we do that by the power of the Holy Spirit and we trust him in every season and situation. And as you share that good news at work, some will accept and some will reject. As you share that good news at home, some will accept and some will reject. These themes of celebration and rejection are woven through the story of Jesus, woven through the early church, and continue to be the reality today. And so even if the decision to reject disappoints us, we can never let it stop us. We continue to share good news with the next person, the next opportunity. So Paul and Barnabas, they, they, they sense this kind of growing amount of frustration. They dig in their heels and they decide, we're just going to stay here longer. We're going to preach louder. We're going to disciple more. We're going to grow in more relationship. And what you find is the enemy doesn't quit either. He pushes back even harder as well. Acts chapter 14, verses 5 through 7, it says, There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and the Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it, and they fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the gospel. And so we've seen this point made in several ways throughout the book of Acts, that the, the unstoppable nature of the church, that God's plan always triumphs. To, to put it in the language of Advent today, I, I would encourage you to think of it this way, that Advent is the initiation and we are the continuation. So the Advent story is the story of the arrival of Jesus. Right? The angels announce good news of great joy for all people. And they, 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 then God speaks to the wise men and they come to worship him. And then Herod rises up to try to kill all the baby boys in Bethlehem to extinguish this new work of God. But God sends Jesus and his family into Egypt where they're safe. And then he calls them back and they settle in Nazareth. And then Advent is really just the beginning of the incarnation, God becoming flesh and making his dwelling among us. And all through the ministry of Jesus, what we see is Jesus pursues the path that God has for him. And all along the way, he's threatened, he's rejected, he's lied about, he's persecuted. It culminates in his false trial, false accusations, beatings, and his crucifixion. And as he's laid in the tomb, it looks like everything is over and his life has been wasted. And then three days later, God raises him from the dead. And Advent is the initiation of God's kingdom. It's the initiation of the new covenant. It's the new world where everyone can walk in relationship with God and with each other through Jesus Christ. And because Advent initiates this new covenant, it now culminates and continues in us today. Which means that in the same way, the story couldn't be stopped in Jesus' life, and the story couldn't be stopped in Acts chapter 14, so God's story will not be stopped in your life this morning. 
He has a purpose and he has a plan and he has called you into a relationship with him. He's called you to be a messenger of light and life. He's called you to be someone who speaks words of hope and joy, salvation and healing. And as you begin to walk the path that God has for you, obstacles will come up. Others will reject. Not everyone's going to stand and applaud and celebrate your new life. As you make a determined effort of my marriage will be different, my family will be different, the way I work and the way I interact will be different. We're not continuing the cycles of the generations that have come before me. As you make these choices, this is the path God is leading you on. But as he leads you on it, there's an enemy who's going to rise up against you, who's going to try to poison your heart and poison your mind, who will seek to discourage you with obstacles and difficulties. And yet the message of Jesus, the story of the early church is my story and your story today. It's Jesus who declares, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And when he makes that statement, it's not just a statement about an organization or an institution. It's a statement for a people and for each one of us individually. You are the church. I am the church. And Jesus has promised that he will build our lives on the rock of who he is and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It doesn't mean you're not going to experience some difficulty. It doesn't mean there won't be some pain or some discouragement. It doesn't mean there's not gonna be some people who lie about you, not gonna be some people who make life difficult for you. But what it means is God, God's work cannot be destroyed in your life. At Advent, we do not just remember the arrival of sweet baby Jesus. We remember the arrival of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, of the resurrected Savior, of the one who defeated sin, hell, death, and the grave. We remember the one who's come to destroy every work of the enemy, to give back what the enemy has taken from us, that in every space the enemy wants to steal and kill and destroy, he's come to give you life and life to the full. You are the continuation of the arrival of Jesus. You are the place where God's glory dwells and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. This is the good news of Advent. This is the thing that brings great joy to all people because it doesn't matter where I'm from. It doesn't matter what I've done. It doesn't matter what others have done to me. Jesus has shown up. He's put on flesh and made his dwelling among us. He's offered himself as a perfect and final sacrifice for every one of our sins. And he's inviting us into a new life that can never be defeated and will never end. And so this morning on the first Sunday of Advent, we're concluding by receiving communion together as a reminder that we don't just remember a nostalgic story but we remember a resurrected savior who's come to forgive us, restore us, and welcome us into new life. So if you'll take that bread and cup in your hand, if you didn't get those on your way in, you can grab them at any of the tables by the doors. Will you take that bread in your hand with me? Bow your heads, let's pray together. Jesus, we come to you today. Lord, we ask that this Advent would be one where you not only remind us of the sweet nature of your arrival, but Lord, this Advent, will you point our attention towards your power and transformation that have invaded our hearts and our minds. 
May we not just remember a sweet baby who comes in a manger, but may we focus on the King of kings and the Lord of lords who comes to take away the sins of the whole world. May we remember that you are the light shining into our darkness, that you are the hope speaking into our despair, that you are the salvation coming into our bondage and our addiction, that you are freedom and hope and joy and life. Jesus, as we receive communion this morning, we ask that you would remind us of the perfect nature of your sacrifice, that we have been completely forgiven and welcomed into your family. So Lord, before we receive it, we confess our sins. We receive you as our Savior, and we ask that you would fill us with the power of your Spirit to walk the path of life you're laying out for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Take the bread with me. And the cup. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.